Hey, this is Cooper Smith. I'm one of the student worship pastors at Eastview, and I'm honored to welcome you to our Eastview Students High School Podcast. We hope this is encouraging, inspiring, and helpful for you in your walk with Christ. Enjoy the message. All right, guys, how we doing? It's fine. All right, that's fine. All right, I can work with that. Uh, so good to be with you guys this morning. We're going to, like Kim said, we're going to be uh, continuing on in our Hope series, but we're kind of going to be taking a little bit of a break from maybe the, the, the main messages that are going to come with this Hope series. Um, we're going to go back to the basics today. We're going to go back to the basics today. Um, and, and the reason is because uh, we, I kind of just felt like it would be important for us to take a little time today to understand what we believe. Um, because the truth is, I think a lot of us may in here be thinking, like, I, I know what I believe, but maybe I can't really explain it. Or, or, or maybe there's, in fact, some of us in here that's like, I, listen, I just, I just go with what everyone tells me, and, and I, I just believe it, and, and maybe I really don't know why, or, or the reasons behind it, or why I can be confident in it. And so the, the thing is, guys, in a world that is constantly trying to indoctrinate you, to tell you what to believe— to tell you what you should think is true, we think it's important to understand the real basics of what it means to be a Christ follower, of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to follow Jesus, so that you guys can know exactly what you believe and then find confidence in that faith. So what I'm going to invite you guys to do today is to really tune in, to really tune in. Because the truth is, a lot of this may feel a little teachy today. It's maybe going to feel a little less preachy for me and a little more teachy, all right? But I think it's extremely important. So I'm going to encourage you guys to maybe put down the phones today, if that's a distraction for you usually, uh, unless you're going to use your phone to take notes, okay? Um, Because I think this is really important. I want you guys to know what you believe, what we believe as Christians. So today we're going to go back to the basics. And, And some of this might not even be basic for us at all. Some of this may be stuff of like, oh, I've, I've never really thought about this. This is new stuff for me. Um, and, and so there's also a side note too. For, for those of you guys that maybe are sitting here and it's like, I already know this stuff. I know the basics of the Christian faith. I still want you guys to tune in because you're going to have questions that come up, maybe from people that don't know Jesus, maybe from new Christ followers. They're going to be like, why do we believe this? What do we believe about this? And I want you to have the confidence to know how to explain those things, what we believe. Okay. So there's kind of five topics that we're kind of going to hit today as we think about God. All right. So we're going to talk about who God is, and I'm going to primarily focus on the Trinity and talk about what the Trinity means, because I think that's a topic that maybe confuses us a lot. Okay. And then how do we know God? Primarily, I want to I talk about the Bible today, what we believe about the Bible, why we can have confidence that the Bible is true. And then third, who are we in comparison to God? And really focusing in on why we as human beings are fallen, why we are full of sin, and why we are in need of repentance and saving and a savior, okay? Then next, how do we respond to God? What's the response to him? And I primarily want to talk about baptism today. Why do we baptize? Why should you be baptized? How is that a response to God? And then finally, what is God's plan? Primarily talking about salvation, heaven, and hell. Okay, so those are the five topics I kind of want to run through today. So again, let's, let's tune in. Let's tune in. Let's go back to the basics and talk about this. So I, I want to start today with who is God, primarily talking about the Trinity. Okay, the Trinity is something that is very confusing. 
I get that. And, and, and I want to start by saying, and maybe towards the end, we're going to get to this number six, that the Trinity is kind of incomprehensible because we aren't God. And God is so far above us that this is something that can often be really confusing, but I don't want this to be a stumbling block for us. So number one, what we believe about God and the Trinity is that we have a monotheistic faith, okay? Which means that we believe in one God. We believe in one God. All right, you can go back to this, this saying, this ancient saying that, that people that follow God would always say, is, it was called the Shema back in Deuteronomy 6. They would say, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. We believe in one God. There are lots of religions out there that believe in many gods. That is not the Christian faith. We believe in one God. And even in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, 5 through 6, it says, there's one God and one mediator who can reconcile God and humanity, the man Jesus Christ. So again, we're affirming that there is one God. All right. But there are three persons. One God, three persons. I'll get to that in a second. But as we think about the Trinity, we think the Father, God the Father. We think God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay? God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. And we believe all of them are equally God. All of them are equally God. If, if you read in Philippians chapter 2 about Jesus, it says, Though Jesus was God, okay, there's the confirmation, he did not think of equality with God as something to be grasped. Meaning, when Jesus came to earth, even though he was God, he did not consider equality with God as something he was going to live by here. He was going to submit. Even Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3 that says, the Son, meaning Jesus, radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. The Bible would affirm that Jesus is equally God as God the Father is. But also the Holy Spirit is also God, equally God. In Acts chapter 5, you get the story of Ananias and Sapphira. If you guys remember that story, there's basically these two people come in, they give an offering, they lie about how much they were giving, that it wasn't their first fruits. And, and Peter says, you were lying. But he says here, you lied to the Holy Spirit, and so you weren't lying to us, but you were lying to God. So there's the affirmation that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are all equally God. But we get the three in one. Three persons, one God. All right, we don't believe that, that, that God is three natures or three different kind of personalities or even three separate gods. All right, we believe that God is one God in three persons. Okay, now Christianity is the only religion that has this claim about God. And it really is a crucial belief about God. All right? That it's crucial to believe that these are just not three different kind of personalities that God just changes. And it's also important for us not to think that these are three gods. We worship three gods. We worship one God in three persons. Okay? That, that would be the way I would describe it. One God, three persons. All right? Next, the Trinity is eternal. Is, is eternal. They always have been and always will be. What's interesting, if you read Genesis chapter 1-2, it talks about how the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We just sang, right, a song about that. That even in the beginning, when God created the world, the Spirit, or the Holy Spirit, was there. And then if you read in John chapter 1, it says that the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word refers to Jesus, in the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. So we know that from the very beginning to the very end, these three have always been. And what's really interesting is that these three persons and one God, they submit to one another. 
If you look in the Bible, Jesus prayed to the Father and prayed that his will would be done. God sent Jesus to do his work and both let the Holy Spirit come into now our present day world and work. Each of them submit to one another. I, I think about Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So even though the Bible doesn't necessarily say Trinity, it talks about three persons. And then finally, this topic is pretty incomprehensible. Okay, this is a tough one. This is a tough one to grasp your mind around. And there's a lot of different analogies that try and explain how you can comprehend what the Trinity is. Some people say like three-leaf clover, all right, which I think has some tendencies to not work. Some people think an egg, all right, like, like the shell of an egg, the yolk of an egg, and the egg white. Okay, that sometimes falls. The, the best description I can maybe give you, all right, is, okay, think about Dusty. You guys know Dusty? All right, he's our high school guy, small group pastor. All right, Dusty is Dusty the father, all right? So he's a father to his kids, and that's how they see him, all right? But Dusty is also a son. He's a son to his parents, but Dusty is also a husband, all right? He's the husband to Chrissy. That's the best way I think I can maybe kind of wrap our minds around the Trinity, is to, to Dusty, he's three different persons to different people, but it's still one Dusty, okay? Now, I'm going to stop there because we're not comparing Dusty to God, all right? But that's the best way I can maybe kind of, kind of explain it. But I love this quote here. Try to explain the Trinity, and you're going to lose your mind. But if you try to deny the Trinity, you're going to lose your soul. Try to explain it. It's going to be confusing. But deny the Trinity, and you're not going to get who God is, okay? And, and here's a kind of a picture, too. Like, the Father is not the Son, but they are both God. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, is not the Son, but he is God, okay? So that's who God is. I wanted to get that across. So let's move to the next one. Let's talk about the Bible. All right, how, how do we know God? The primary way we know God is through the Bible, and I think what's important here is that kind of these three different words to describe what the Bible is. You've got inspired, you've got inerrant, you've got authoritative. So let's start with inspired. All right. The idea of inspiration is that there was the supernatural influence of the Holy Spirit that led to the writers of the Bible to actually communicate the word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God-breathed. And actually, the word for breath used throughout the Bible often refers to the Holy Spirit. So if you think about this, all of scripture has Holy Spirit influence. The Holy Spirit influenced the writers. The Holy Spirit was also very selective in what he inspired the Bible writers to report. All right, what's interesting is that, let me read from John chapter 21, verse 25. It says this, at the very end of the gospel of John, John writes, Jesus did many other things. And if they were written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. So what's interesting here is that Jesus did a lot more than what's in our Bible, which shows me that the Holy Spirit was very selective in what's in your Bible and what is in there and what, and what he inspired the writers to write down and that God had some pretty precise direction in terms of the message of scripture that we understand with the Bible that God directed the thoughts of the writers so that those thoughts were exactly what God wanted to be written in the Bible. Some of those were very specific details in the Bible, and some of those might be general. For example, God may have directed the writers of the Bible to say God loves you, 
Or he may have directed the writers of the Bible to say, God loved you by sending his son Jesus to be the propitiation of your sins. Okay, see, sometimes the Bible can be general in a sense, and sometimes it can be very specific. But God directed what would be written in there. Now, one of the, one of the, the things that maybe we wrestle with is, okay, why did the Gospels have different accounts? Why did some things get written down differently? And what's interesting is you have to think, though, still, the Bible is still written by human beings that were giving testimony. In the same way that you might have two people that witnessed an accident out on the road, and they come into a courtroom and share the testimony, it may be a little different, but they still both saw it. And what's important to understand is these scripture writers had a very close, very intimate, long relationship with God, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the important thing is, as we talk about inspiration, that the Bible was inspired, what does that mean for you? It means that you can be confident that everything written in the Bible is from God. It is God's instruction, which also means that everything written in the Bible, guys, you have to obey. If everything was inspired by the Holy Spirit, that means everything in the Bible means that we have to obey. We have to listen because it's God's word. The second part of the Bible is that we believe as Christians, the Bible is inerrant, which means that it is fully truthful in all of its teachings. When the Bible is seen through the context it's written, it teaches truth without error. Okay. So maybe we ask the question that, well, if the Bible says it, can I believe it? Can I believe the Bible if it says it? Well, I would say yes, because we believe the Bible is inerrant. It's without error in what is affirmed or asserted in the Bible. And with understanding the cultural setting, we can know that the Bible is fully true. An important thing to note with that, and I hope you guys are sticking with me, is some people may come at the Bible and say, well, the Bible has a bunch of errors. The Bible has a bunch of errors, so maybe it isn't inerrant. I would suggest that the Bible doesn't have errors, it has difficulties. The Bible doesn't have errors, it has difficulties. It's things that maybe don't make sense in the moment that you have to study and read and understand context. So difficulties don't mean error. I would say that we believe the Bible is sure, dependable, and trustworthy because it's inspired by God and it's without error. Therefore, we obey because the Bible is authoritative. The word, it's the word of God, which means that we have to obey everything in the Bible. All right, we can't pick and choose what's in the Bible because if it is the word of God and it is without error, then it means we cannot just pull things out to say, I'm going to follow that, but I'm not going to follow that. If this is the word of God, it's authoritative. All right, and that's what we believe, believe about the Bible. The Bible is sure, dependable, and trustworthy. And if the Bible says it, you can believe it. If it's in the Bible, you can believe it. Let's move to the next one. Talking about sin. Okay, who are we to God? Sin is an evil action or evil motive that's in opposition to who God is. It's the opposite of who God is. It's a failure to let God be God and place something or someone in God's rightful place. If God is the supreme authority, sin says, I'm going to put something else in authority, whether it's myself, whether it's someone else, whether it's something from the world. God now doesn't take first place. And so what is sin? Sin is the opposite of the goodness of God. It is everything that God is not. We believe that God is the creator of all good things, that everything good comes from God. And if sin is the opposite, then sin is everything that God is not. 
It's ugly, it's twisted, it's spoiled, it's corruptive, it's everything that is not good. And, and guys, if we as Christians are called to reflect the nature of God, we can't look at the world and judge ourselves based on the world's standards, which the world kind of gets confused. That the world sets its own morals, sets its own standards on what's wrong and what's not, or what is, what's wrong and what is right. But if we're supposed to live out God's nature, who is completely good, then we cannot judge ourselves by what the world says. We have to judge ourselves based on who God says we should live and how we should live. Okay, so sin also leads to death. Sin is very serious. It leads to death, which makes sense because if God is the author of life, then sin is going to lead to everything that God is not. So sin is going to lead to death. You get physical death. All right, because we live in a broken, sinful world, it means we die. We physically die at some point. Sin also leads to spiritual death. That it creates this barrier between us and God. So it leads to spiritual death. It also leads to eternal death. Because sin cannot be anywhere near God. So that means eternal separation from God forever is the consequence of sin. And here's the thing, guys. The more you realize how severe sin is, the more you realize how much more you need Jesus. And I want to stress the importance here today. Sometimes we, we, we don't think of sin as that bad. Sin is bad. It is, it is evil. It is corruptive. It is twisted. All right? It leads to death. But when you understand the severity of sin, you understand how much we need Jesus. And so there's a bunch of different characters of sin that is used throughout the Bible. Things like missing the mark. Which, which basically means not meeting a certain standard that maybe God has set. Sin can also mean irreligion, which means refusal to, to give God reverence and praise and authority, that we treat God as like just some regular human being instead of the supreme authority. Sin is seen as rebellion, that we disobey God, or treachery, that we break trust with God. Even in the Bible, it sometimes talks about how sin is perversion, which means we twist what is good. All right, I think a lot of that is seen in like how the, the culture treats sex. That sex is good from God. God gave us sex, but we perverted it. We twisted it. We made it how it shouldn't be. This is what sin does. So I have here like some, some natures of sin. is sensuality, selfishness. It's a displacement of God. It's making God not where he should be. And what we need to understand is that the source of our sin is not God. The source of our sin is humanity, that when God gave us a choice, whether we were going to follow him or whether we were going to pursue selfish desires, we chose selfish desires. We chose sin. And, and, and humanity is sinful by nature. Sometimes our culture will say humanity at its core is good. We as Christians believe humanity at its core is bad. We're sinful. We're broken. We're not who God called us to be. We also live in a world where there are real enemies, Satan and his demons, that want to induce you to sin. We live in a culture that wants to induce you to sin. So not only are we at our core broken and sinful, but we have a world that is constantly trying to get you to sin. Romans 7.18 says, I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. We have a sinful nature. And what are the results of our sin? Results of our sin are broken relationships. You have a broken relationship with God. We have a broken relationship with ourselves. All right, if we think about ourselves and our sin, what does sin do to us? It enslaves us. 
It causes us to deny, to self-deceive, to, to have selfishness, to have restlessness. It messes us up. But it also not only breaks the relationship with God, with ourselves, it breaks relationships with others. We no longer love others well. We no longer empathize with others well. It breaks relationships with all three of those things. But here's the encouragement for you guys today. As we as Christ followers, what we believe as Christians is that the punishment for sin can be interrupted by repentance. The punishment for your sin can be stopped, can be interrupted by repentance. Let me tell you, you will find no other religion that does that. All other religions say, you mess up, karma's going to happen. You're going to be punished. There's no way to avoid it. That's going to happen. The Christian faith is the only one that says, no, you can stop that. That can be interrupted. The punishment for your sins can be interrupted. The world may say, or other religions may say, if you mess up, you pay for it. As a Christian, my God says, you mess up, I paid for it. That's a huge difference. But God also says repent, which also means to turn, to turn away from your sin, to turn away from your evil and follow God. Okay? Moving forward, how do we respond to God? Let's talk about baptism real quick. What's interesting is all Christian churches practice some form of baptism. They may be different, but everyone practices a form of baptism. And Every church would probably say that baptism is seen as, the, as connected to the beginning of the Christian life. And sometimes we get that confused. We think baptism comes at the end, when we get everything figured out, when my life is all figured out, when I stop doing that sin, when I believe everything about God. Christian faith says, no, this is the beginning. This is the first step. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. It is an outward sign of an inward change. It is also a public testimony of my faith. I share what God is doing in my heart. And there's the kind of three things I want to talk about with this idea of baptism. Number one is what baptism does is it unites us with Christ in his death and resurrection. Baptism is a really powerful thing because it represents dying to my sin and raising to life in Jesus death and resurrection. It's really cool. It, it, it unites us to this, this miracle that happened with Jesus where he died and rose again, which means the baptism shouldn't be taken lightly. It's not just something you say, ah, I feel like getting baptized today. Might as well. All right. That's not what baptism is because it's really important. It's a sign of union. It's a confession to following Jesus forever. It, it cements that firmly. Baptism is a really big deal. It's a big thing. The second thing about baptism is that belief and baptism go, to, go together. Belief and baptism go together. It's an act of faith and commitment. And while faith, while you can have faith in Jesus, it's possible without baptism that your salvation, if you don't get baptized, does not mean that until you get baptized, you're going to hell. That's not what that means. But I would say that baptism accompanies and helps complete your faith. In other words, guys, and maybe we don't say this enough. If you believe in Jesus here in this room, you should be baptized. If you believe in Jesus, if you follow him, if you trust him, and maybe you haven't been baptized yet, it's time to be baptized. There's not a requirement for having your life together or having no questions about God or being the person you want to be. All right. If, if you believe in Jesus, if you're ready to turn from your life of sin, I want to encourage you today. It's time to actually take this step towards baptism. And listen, believing does not mean you don't have doubts. I want to stress that too. 
that maybe you're in here today and it's like, I don't know if I should be baptized yet because I believe this, but I still like, am not fully sure. I, I have doubts about these things. Here's an example. I believe that working out will make me stronger. Okay? But sometimes I look in the mirror and I have doubts. <laughs> okay? Go to the gym, flex the biceps. And I'm like, hmm, is this working? Right? But I believe that working out is going to make me stronger because I've seen results in the past and there is proof out there to believe that it's true. I see that with God. Are we going to still have doubts? Yeah, because God is incomprehensible. It's hard to understand him. But that doesn't mean you don't believe. And finally, baptism is all about a testimony. It's affirming your salvation to others. It's standing up in front of your high school peers and saying, I believe this. But it's also important because this is a chance for you to invite your family, invite your friends that don't know Jesus, and to say, I believe this, and you can too. Which is why I think baptism is so important, guys. And here's what I want to encourage you with that, with this. We're doing a baptism Sunday on March 12th, okay? On March 12th, we're going to be doing a baptism Sunday here in the high school service. And I want to encourage you guys today. If you are in here today and you have not been baptized yet, but you believe in Jesus, you want to make him your Lord and Savior, I think it's time. It's time. And in fact, baptism was commanded by Jesus. Jesus said at the very end of his life, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you guys today. If, if that's tugging on your heart, I want to encourage you. March 12th, we're going to be doing a baptism Sunday. And I think it's time for some of us in this room to take that next step. Finally, salvation. Okay? What's important to understand about salvation, what we believe as Christians, is that God is two things. He's righteous and he's love. And sometimes we lean a lot towards the love piece. And we, that's where we find the grace piece. We find that God made a way for salvation, but God is also righteous, which means that sin is going to be punished. Evil has to be ended. It has to be done with. And so how do we as Christians find salvation? Well, we find salvation by grace through faith. All right. Ephesians 2.8 says, God saved you by his grace, by his son, Jesus, when you believed. We find salvation. If you are in here today and you believe in Jesus and you believe that he died for your sins, you have salvation. You are saved. And this salvation is not just for a few people. It's for anyone. When Jesus came, he made salvation available for everyone. And this salvation too is not just in eternity. It's not just heaven. Salvation is both now and forever. I think sometimes we think about salvation and we think, okay, I, that means I'm going to heaven. No, no. You, you being saved right now means you can experience heaven on earth right now. That salvation can happen now for you. You can experience joy. You can experience grace. You can experience forgiveness. You can experience peace right now. Salvation is both now and forever. And finally, some of us in here, we, maybe we're scared. We're like... Am I saved? Am I not saved? Is this secure? I want to encourage you today. If you believe in Jesus and you have repented, the Bible promises that your faith is secure. Actually, a lot of the Bible says you are sealed. So you don't have to live in fear. If you follow Jesus, your faith, your salvation is secure. And salvation is available for you today if you put your faith in Jesus and you turn away from your life of sin. And the first step I want to encourage you is baptism. I want to encourage you guys today. If you've not been baptized yet, I want to encourage you to take that next step. And maybe after the service today or in the next coming weeks, come and talk to a staff member and let's make that happen on March 12th. 
Let's, let's proclaim that Jesus is Lord. The two other things that I think sometimes get confusing with salvation that I want to just tackle real quick is the idea of heaven and hell. All right, and, and you can find a lot of what talks about heaven in Revelation chapter 21 if you wanted to look that up. But the thing is, sometimes we think about heaven and we don't get super excited about it because I assume some of us in here think, well, heaven's just going to be us standing around and worshiping God forever and it never stops. All right, And I don't even like worship in the first place. And maybe that's you and you think that. And, and I just think that's a wrong view because heaven is every, basically take everything that's good here on earth and multiply it. All right, what, I, what I'm talking about, take everything that's good and multiply it. Think the goodness of enjoying a great meal. Think the goodness of being with your friends. Think the goodness of accomplishing something of hard work. Think the goodness of something that you do is fun. Those are the things that are going to be multiplied in heaven. All right, you're not going to get to heaven and be bored. That's just not what heaven is. Heaven is everything that's good here on earth multiplied and better and amazing. All right, think Garden of Eden. All right, think Garden of Eden, perfect paradise, but everything that is good. And with hell, sometimes we have this misconception of hell because we think devil and red tights and horns, all right, and, and everything on fire, all right, and, and we get this misunderstanding of what hell is. All right, hell is not this like you're, you're constantly in a furnace burning to death. A lot of what the Bible talks about, sure, it talks about lake of fire. It talks about torment. It talks about a dark place. But the Bible talks about what hell is like. We don't really know what hell is. But we know what it's going to be like. And the reason why it, hell is scary is because hell is separation from God. What that means is hell is, is separate from everything that is good. If God is completely good, he is everything that is good. Hell means I'm separated from everything that is good. All right. So, so hell is a real place. Hell is a thing, but it's maybe not the things that we've always thought about. But the thing is, as Christians, we have this hope in heaven and in the cleansing blood of Jesus. And we have this hope that all of this evil Satan and his demons and the work and the evil things that happen in this world, they're going to be punished. They're not going to last forever. That's hope that we can find in this. But there's also this urgency, guys. There are people that need to experience the grace and salvation in heaven of Jesus that don't know about that yet, that haven't experienced that yet. And, and, and that's why I want to encourage you guys to, to love McLean County. What we're talking about here is is to have some urgency with saying, you guys need to experience the salvation that you can have through Jesus. I also want to share this too, that God is patient with us. He doesn't want anyone to perish. I know this. I want to read this passage to you guys from 2 Peter 3. It says, you must not forget this one thing, dear friends. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. But the day of the Lord will come as unexpectedly as a thief. But we are looking forward to the new heavens and new earth he has promised, a world filled with God's righteousness. And so, dear friends, while you're waiting for these things to happen, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. And remember, our Lord's patience gives people time to be saved. Guys, our God is so good. He doesn't want people to perish. He wants everyone to come to experience the salvation and grace that's in Jesus. That's the hope 
we can have today. And guys, for those that may sit in here and, and maybe there are some uncomfortable things about our faith, this, this is what I want you to rest in here. I know it's a verse you guys all know, but I want you to really sit in this. John three sixteen through 18 says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him, if you believe in him today, if you believe in him, you will not perish. You will have eternal life. That is a promise for you guys. And the thing is, God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There's no judgment against anyone who believes in him. I think sometimes we have this misconception that God is this angry God here to judge everyone and he relishes in punishing everyone. No, God loves the world so much that he would do anything to save it to save you and to save me. We have this hope because of Jesus. Guys, here's the thing. I, I gave you like an appetizer today of the Christian faith, a little taste. There's a lot more to go in depth. I just want you guys to have hope that this faith is good. It is hopeful. All right, and it, not to get lost in the indoctrination of the world, but to stand firm that you can trust this, that it's true that we have a God that is incredible, that we have a way to be saved, that yeah, we're broken, we're sinful, but there's hope in that. And I wanna encourage you today. I really wanna encourage students in this room. If you believe in Jesus and you wanna turn from your sinful life and find hope and grace and forgiveness, I wanna encourage you to take that step of baptism. Don't leave today without talking to a staff member. And March 12th, let's, let's have some baptisms in here because we believe in the grace and the forgiveness and the goodness of our God. Let me pray. God, we thank you. We thank you for who you are. And we pray in the times where maybe our faith can be confusing or hard, I, I pray for peace and understanding. But God, most importantly, I, I, I pray for hope for our students to know we can have confidence in what we believe and that what we believe is true. And God, as, as we see all of these moments of revival happening around our country, God, I, I pray it sparks something in our ministry that revival can happen here. So God, may we rest in the truth and the grace of, our son, of your son, Jesus, and may we go and have confidence and courage to go and share the good news so that we can rest in the salvation that is available to us now and forever. And pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Well, everyone, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the message, we'd love it if you would join us on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. for our Eastview Students High School service. We also want to invite you to subscribe to the podcast and share it to your social media accounts. To stay up to date, check us out on Instagram at EastviewHSM and check out our Eastview Students YouTube channel. Thanks again for listening and have a great week.